0: So, Michael, we have been talking about um, teaching the Dhamma to high school kids in a kind of philosophical way and and also uh, in a philosophical way. There's that question of uh, is there free will or not?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: OK, and the first thing that I would have to say is, is that uh, free will is not like um let us say a white sheet that has the sun shining on it and then some object comes really close to it to cause an absolute definite shadow so that there is a very clear distinction Mm. between what's black or what is uh in the shadow and what is out of the shadow but if you move the shadow back just to look you'll begin to see that there is what are called a, a penundrum that actually happens in a solar eclipse, that even though the narrow band of a full eclipse is only 90 miles wide, a partial eclipse goes out about 150 to 200 miles. Okay, in other words, what we're talking about is the boundary between free will and no free will is a fuzzy boundary. And if we can understand that it's a fuzzy boundary, that it's not just black and white, but in fact, there's 50 shades of gray in there also. So from that, we can look at it in the sense of the teaching of the Buddha, and we can pinpoint the point exactly down to right noble effort, an item on the Eightfold Noble Path. Because anything that you have to put effort into and anything you have to work at is some sort of expense. Right. Now, in the beginning, when people are ignorant, literally because they're ignorant, they pick up ignorant, stupid, dangerous, harmful things. A guy who doesn't know what a snake is or thinks it's a belt will pick it up and have problems with it. So, in, in that regard, everything starts in ignorance, and when that happens, we wind up with a destiny because we keep doing the same thing over and over again because we don't wake up to the fact that there's, there's other pathways to go down, that we think that our life is nothing but this one-way highway. And all we have to do is to put in the time, but that's kind of a drudgery and we don't recognize that there's all kinds of scenery on the side as well as parks and playgrounds, or maybe there's a a fork in the road and we can take the road not taken. So this is the whole point of it. And that the idea of that you have no free will, you have none means that instead that your life is controlled by some destiny. Now, in magical thinking, we think that the destiny is controlled from the outside, just like the magical thinking is everything happens on the outside and it happens to me, but within the wise way of looking at it, everything that's on the outside is not even interested in me. It's just out there. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And that everything that really happens is my experience that I create on the inside. That's a different perspective. And that's the one that's doing it with wisdom. Or with insight because the other way of doing it through ignorance is the way that we're taught. Humans in general are fairly ignorant. That's why we still have wars. It's because of the ignorance. And so I might I might take a moment to digress on that in the sense that there's kind there's two kinds of Buddhisms and even two kinds of suttas in the sense that there is the ordinary that's taught to children. We give them a set of rules or precepts or commandments or laws that, in fact, in the first grade, we begin to teach the kids a whole lot of rules and laws and things. But basically, they go back down to the Ten Commandments on one side or the Sharia on another or the five precepts or ten precepts of, of the Buddhist in the sense that the real teaching should be that if you lie, you're not going to be free from that lie until you stop telling that lie. Or, and that's a really good way of looking at it, that that's actually the comma that's long lasting is that we have to put a stop to the behavior because every cause has an effect. And the law of comma is much more related to what's happening right now, rather than a buildup of storage. It's almost like that there's a great big silo up there and you dump all of your garbage into it, but that's going to be your home when you get up there. That's the kind of idea that people have about, about it. But the reality is, is that every rotten cabbage we throw in the air always lands upon our own head. And it does so only as long as gravity takes to get it back down. Then our results of our bad behavior is soon enough. It's not way out there. Now, the point is, is that the way outness there determines it in the sense of a destiny rather than the present moment, it being an event. And so the destiny or the plan that we make is simply going down the same road over and over and over again and not getting new results err, how bad we want new results. So if people get stuck in a way of thinking, then the things uh, the thoughts that they have will be the feelings they have, which will then be the words that they speak, which will then be um, the actions that they take. And the actions they take will create the habits of doing those actions one after another. And then the and then the habits become the destiny. Now, an easy and clear example of that is the statement, he who lives by the sword dies by the sword. All right? Now, how can that possibly be true? Let's say that this guy is championship all of Japan at whatever time. He is absolutely the best there is. But if he keeps wielding that sword and harming people his whole life after he gets 60 70 or 80 years old somebody's going to sneak up behind him and he's going to lose it in the sense that somebody now is a little bit faster and they're going to get him if he don't put that sword down and retire from swordsmanship somebody's going to kill him with a sword mm-hmm. that, that see how obvious that's going to be he's eventually going to lose that fight
2: or he's gonna turn it on himself.
0: <laughs> that happens too, don't it? <laughs> <laughs> <Sip-a-coup>. <laughs> yeah.
1: Um nope. Go ahead.
2: Okay. Um I just have so many thoughts on this topic. I'm <laughs> um that I'm like forgetting even where to start. But I I guess I've just been sort of looking at the way people talk about this topic in in the buddhist community and then also in like the non-duality community and it seems like it's becoming more and more prevalent that um people are falling in the side of that there is no such thing as free will there is no such thing as choice and even when um except for except for like buddhist teachers especially monastics that i hear give teachings on this but um to me like uh, you know like even in like the non-dual community um they'll, they'll do the neti neti process to disidentify with the five aggregates essentially as we call it but um even when they're sort of resting in awareness or they collapse the duality between awareness and its objects there's still this idea that um that it's part of a causal process that there isn't control of but um you know the one thing that makes me question this constantly is in is in the udana where the buddha you know he mentions that that amongst there is the unborn the unbecome the unmade the unconditioned if there wasn't the unborn unbecome un- Unmade, unconditioned. You could not know escape here from the born, become made, and conditioned. But because there is an unborn, unbecome, unmade, unconditioned, therefore you do new, know an escape from the born, become made, and conditioned. So, for me, in this topic, I take that's that, for this topic
0: is this this conversation that we're having right now is going exactly in that direction,
2: just not using that language. But I'll incorporate yes. it. Uh, so what? So mm-hmm. my feeling on that is is that like is that like the Buddha's teaching is is wholly about the ability to make a fresh choice. It's just on a spectrum from how enslaved you are by ignorance and craving, or how liberated you are in knowledge and vision of the way things are. It's either ignorance and craving that's controlling your life, or it's knowledge and vision of the way things are that is it gives you the ability to make a fresh choice. And when, when people speak of the lack of free will, they're still only looking at the world of conditions, the world of causality, and they're not recognizing the, the freedom that comes with, with, with um, the recognition of the unconditioned or the realization. You say
0: all of that really easily.
2: Uh-huh. And that
0: is is that, okay, here's <laughs> a very easy way to say it. The guy goes into the doctor's office and says, you know, when I scratch my arm, my armpit gets really sore. And the doctor mm-hmm. looks at him and he says, if you stop scratching your armpit, will it get better? And the guy <laughs> thinks, yeah, it probably will. And the doctor says, well, stop scratching your <laughs> armpit.
2: Okay. I, I well, like your way of putting it.
0: <laughs> all right. So what that means exactly is the unconditioned is the removal of the conditioning that the rash was having under the arm because of the conditioning of the scratching so when you stop the scratching the arm will heal and so the unconditioned
2: okay. (laughs) okay the rash is unborn now i see okay i've been spending so much time thinking about what the heck the unborn is but that makes a lot of sense
1: yeah
0: well it's not it's the only <laughs> sense to make out of it. It's just this pollutant strange language that the poly is is different than the language that we speak and the translators don't have a clue about what's going on so naturally they're going to fall back to whatever um definition they find in the in the some other translation basically. I, Somebody have, else's I, have, job.
2: I have another quote that I, I think shows where it goes wrong and where the distinction is, Um, even though I I love, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Zen um, master Banke, they call his Dharma lazy Dharma. He was like the less popular contemporary of like Dogen and Rinzai and stuff like that, and he was all about like, you don't have to do anything, you just have to rest in the unborn awareness. They Um, all teach that,
0: but they want to do it in a high pollutant way, they don't like it when he gets down and dirty and simple. But the Buddhist teaching is really down and clean and simple. It is. But I wanted really to. Easy. <laughs> it's a lazy man. I wanted to, out. just stop doing everything. <laughs> and
1: and, <that's> it.
2: <laughs> and then it becomes unconditioned on its own.
0: Because <laughs> all the um, conditioning was what you were doing. You were creating the
2: conditioning. If you if you if you kind of if you listen to Bonke's quote on the on the unborn, it's more similar, I think, to the way that modern non-dualists think about it and why that they think there's no free will. Like This is this is what he says. He says, uh, an enlightened awareness is within each one of us right at this moment. This enlightened awareness is truly unborn and marvis- marvelously illuminating, and everything is perfectly managed by it. Conclusively realize that what is unborn and illuminating is truly awakened and without effort, rest naturally as the unborn mind, resting in this way, you are a living Buddha. It's okay. that everything That's is perfectly managed good. by it. Okay,
0: here's the point. I agree with all of that.
2: When, well, but, <laughs> when you go ahead.
0: are in sensory awareness, when you are mm-hmm. just sitting and receiving, then that unborn, unconditioned state is there. That, and I call that paradise,
1: mm-hmm.
0: okay, because we're just in the paradise, not judging it. When we start judging it, we condition it. When the thoughts start up, that's the conditioning. Things get mm-hmm. started. That's what puts a, a stop to it. So everything about that is quite beautiful. It's just in such spectacularly over-the-top language.
1: hmm
2: I think it's I think it's simple, but I also think that the part um, where he says and everything is managed by it um, is is true, but also can be misleading. Yeah, Okay. All right. In in that in that even everything
0: is subject to cause and effect is all that statement is making everything is managed by everything else
2: so. In, th- in that sense, then the unconditioned is not outside of causality. It's not it's outside. It's the of-
0: lack of causality. It's coming to a rest and don't let inputs affect you. It's like the dominoes. You see those dominoes and they all fall around. Mm-hmm. You, you've seen various ways of doing that. Okay, you've got a domino sitting here and he comes and you know, I ain't falling over. <laughs> and he puts a <laughs> stop to the whole show. Okay, or there's not a choice. going to be. <laughs> well, he just made the choice. I'm not falling over. That's the choice. He made all the other dominoes. They had no choice. They just fell over <laughs> because they had been falling over. They're due to gravity. They're not due to their own strong will of standing uh-huh. up to it and
2: not falling over. Well, that's the point I'm making is, is, is that for there to be the possibility of choice, then there has to be some element in our experience that is able to escape causality and I think that's what the Buddha is talking about when he yeah, talks about the exactly. unconditioned. And the way to say
0: that is get over it, forget <laughs> about it. Don't let it continue to condition you. Don't bring it up, don't think about it. And then you're not conditioned by it. So when you, when you take away the cause, then you take away the effect.
1: Mm-hmm
0: or we can manage the effect in a different way because in fact the word it's better to not even use the word cause and causality because that word actually has the connotation of one thing does the cause mm-hmm. a better word to use is conditionality Conditional. because in some things things are conditioned in new ways an example of the domino is is that in one way it's unconditioned, it has no foundation, it's got no floor, it's an easy pushover. But the but the uh the domino that's standing up, he just happened to have had some super glue. And so he super glued himself to the floor. So when that next domino falls on him, he ain't going anywhere.
2: And the see and and that element, like if you listen to these conversations it seems that that doesn't seem to be present even in like the non dual community where they're saying like awareness itself is i is...
0: really am unconditioned by the non dual community <laughs> sorry about that <laughs> but my, i have i have no interest in what any of them have to say
2: <laughs> i my my um i'm I'm getting there too <laughs> my <laughs> my theory just to put it out there is that that that's a crazy perspective because you know, they talk a lot about consciousness or awareness or knowing they use those three different words um sort of synonymously i think that choice or agency is the main prime primary quality of consciousness besides knowing um it's i think it's the element that not only knows but also that is also capable and it, there's of so many directing
0: the word one which is responsibility the ability Mm -hmm. to respond to stimulus okay Mm -hmm. that state of unconditioned is something that a human can practice but almost always we go around being conditioned blob conditioned in hundreds of different ways and and it takes a while to bring that conditioning off You Mm can say then, the conditioning, each one's individual whole realm of conditioning, is one's destiny. Mm -hmm. And because of that conditioning, they have no choice. There is no freedom of doing things or having the ability to respond in a wise way. Rather, they respond not in a response, but in a reaction. They don't mm-hmm. respond, they react because they're doing the same thing that they were trained to do. Them dominoes gotta fall, they always have. Well, not if we superglue one of them to the floor. All right. And so the question <laughs> is, can we begin to superglue ourselves down so that we can stop That's wiggling so much? <laughs> well, this is what the Anapanasati and the breathing is all about. This is the whole idea of the monkey mind. Can you uh, uh, superglue that monkey?
1: Uh huh.
0: Okay. Can you, in fact, keep making it a smaller and smaller place for him to stay? You put uh-huh. him first in a pasture, then in a the corral, then in a stall. And by the time you got him in a stall, you can get your hands on him easy enough. The the mind is the same way so long as it's got wide variety to roam it's going to wind up in the um, uh, in the briars and the thickets in the canyon. He can't get out of and all kinds of dangers that are out there, but that's the horse's destiny is to roam fall down and get hurt and die. Mm -hmm. Because he's too stupid to recognize it is much better in the pasture but once we can get the horse into the pasture, he'll begin to like it. Okay? Basically, and what is the corral. pasture for the meditation is the wholesome thought. We got to get the mind into the wholesome thought rather than letting it run all over the place. So in this regard, we can say that the monkey mind is going to roam, but we're only going to let it roam in one tree. We're going to remove it or put it in, in, uh, put it into a tree where there's no other trees around to jump to. So he can jump all over the place in this tree.
1: But mm-hmm. this
0: tree is the only one he can jump into. He can't jump into those unwholesome trees. And so we're beginning to corral the mind, which is like finally buying that uh, tube of uh, super glue. We're getting around to it, okay? We're going to glue that thing down, but we got to do it in in a process in stages okay so when we're doing it like this we're actually putting in the effort that it takes to to bring the, the mind the mental horse out of the wild into the pasture once the horse gets into the pasture he really likes it but getting him in there took a lot of work a lot of effort mm-hmm. a lot of chasing around to get that horse into that pasture once he's there he doesn't want to leave so the mind is like that we have to keep training it and training it over and over again and this takes work it takes effort over and over and over again it takes an effort to start throwing the conditions out one at a time to throw and so the the boundary of the fence of the pasture is a way of uh throwing the unwholesome out or throwing some conditions some conditioning out.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: This is why it's such a good reason to use the word to stop. Whatever the, mm-hmm. uh, the conditioning is that's harmful, stop. Let's put a stop to it. Maybe not every Our time. <laughs> but right now, we can stop. We can stop it right now. We can actually take that condition away. And maybe for a split second, then we'll be unconditioned until some new condition comes up. Like every thoughts, a new kind of condition.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so uh, the, we're looking for the goal of becoming unconditioned, which means we throw out all the rules and just sort of learn to hang out and to stop conditioning ourselves by wanting stuff.
2: Mm-hmm. I think So go ahead. I was thinking about what you said about um, not caring about that non-dual community. And I was like, OK. I, did, I think I think the reason why I let myself care about this so much is because for one I see it as I, I perceive it as such a misunderstanding that it of the Dhamma that offends me <laughs> and the other thing is um, <laughs> I it makes it makes people so unbelievably passive in their life and I I I see harm in millions of people pursuing the Dhamma just to take away their own agency and become extremely passive when I think it's a lot more about claiming that agency and cultivating that pasture that you're talking about um, by by realizing where the freedom actually is in, in that element of, of knowing. Um, do you know who the scientist Donald Hoffman is? He's like one of the most interesting guys around right now. He, um, he, created this theory that he calls the interface theory of perception, and I I won't explain it. Um, Like in brief, he says that space time, like the actual scientific theory of space time, like space time and physical objects don't actually exist except as a perceptual construct. He compares it to the interface on a computer where the desktop is space and time and the icons are physical objects. Um, and he's created a mathematical proof that um, that consciousness itself rather than matter is what the universe is actually made of. It's, it's the only element in the universe. But he calls he call he calls these conscious agents like, you know, just an infinitude pluralization of one substance that he, he calls them conscious agents because they can <laughs> interact and, <laughs> and construct. Um, but, you but know, the, something. The word I think agent I is would rather there. him.
0: I think I would rather have him uh, doing that kind of research and sitting down and thinking through things like that, rather than jumping into the tank as a tank commander and going off to war.
1: Mm-hmm. It's a whole yeah. lot
0: better. <laughs>
1: but. You
2: should look him up. I think you'd like him. <laughs> he well, meditates. <laughs>
0: uh, yes, but he also cogitates a lot too. Yeah. He's asking questions that don't need answers. He's philosophizing. He's trying to think himself out of a paper bag. Well,
2: he's so, using mathematics to prove yes, to prove these i theories. I
0: know. <laughs> How sick can someone get? I mean, look at all the years he spent figuring all that out with his math when he could have been happy sitting around doing nothing anyway.
2: Well, the, the reason I bring it up is because
0: and that brings me back to the point that you were making about the people who are passive and you don't like that uh-huh <laughs> you, you want them to do what would <laughs> they just sit passively and do much of nothing i mean we've got what four hundred thousand monks here in thailand and that's basically they're just happy sitting around doing nothing and if they're not happy that means they're out doing something
2: well they're they're okay. they're not doing nothing they're actively reconditioning or deconditioning or unconditioning, if you want to say it in their mind, which is a whole bunch of nothing. (laughs) That's one way of thinking about it.
0: (laughs) Yes. Well, think about it that way. Stop thinking, in fact, at all, because that's just a conditioning. There's no there's no reason to think about it all that much. It's just Mm -hmm. recognizing that we don't have to be so conditioned. That we can uncondition that we can practice, stop doing that conditioning mm-hmm. and then practice again. Oh, I see that argument that I had with Ann Susie. There's no reason to think about it right now. It's conditioning me. It's a hindrance.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Buddha talked about it in, in that regard. They call it a hindrance or an obstruction to going where we want to go. Or it's a conditioning that keeps us from being in an unconditioned state. So now that I'm thinking about that argument with Aunt Susie, what can I do? I can wake up and see. Oh, this this whole porch is empty of Susie. There's no Susie's here. There's no Susiness here. The only Susiness that's here is in here. That's uh-huh. the only place. And it's unhappy and uncomfortable in there. Let it go. And uh-huh. I can sit here unconditioned by Susie and the argument with Susie, because really the conditioning was something that I invented. It was not real. There was no real conditioning. It was all there. Okay. So in fact, some of the stuff that you said about the guy, he's taking it too far. But the reality is, let us say, we don't really care whether reality itself is part of a matrix part of a computer um or how big the computer (laughs) is or whether the reality is the computer itself that's a better way of looking at it is that Uh reality is a kind of computer and it is really smart about every every molecule operate the same okay Uh so with that humans do not live in that reality humans live in a mentally constructed reality and this is how it goes is is that we can't just take data as input we take it and massage it and moralize it and make rules about it and can reconfigure it bring a feeling or two into it and then that becomes the output of our perception what the buddha called the Salayatana. and we're confused that what we thought about that, that was out there, was what was out there. And mm-hmm. it's not, we're dreaming, even though out there is out there, instead of getting a whole lot of more of out there, let's just take a little bit of out there and dream up a story about it. And that's mm-hmm. what humans do. Now, <laughs> one of the ways of looking at this is, is that the, the the more input we take, the closer to reality we are. And the less input we take, the less close to reality we are And we are taught as children to do what we're told to do, which means to limit our ability to take in input. You gotta stay on that road. You can't go traveling all over the the countryside and figure out what's going on. It's it's a big wide reality out there, but you gotta stay on this road. And that Mm -hmm. road then becomes the reality and that road Mm -hmm. is actually in someone's mind. So ignorance means that we limit our ability to perceive, not perceive, to be conscious of reality. Mm -hmm. That perception is the word we use, which means that we cloud it and modify it and fit it into our little brains, okay? Or another way of of talking about it is uh, like this, that consciousness is like seeing. Mm -hmm. And I'll make a little mistake here, but to make, make the point and i say i see a tree that's different than saying i see what you mean
1: mm-hmm.
0: now i see what you mean means that we've communicated with words enough to to construct concepts mm-hmm. and now we're matching mental concepts but when i say the tree believe me the comp- the image that you made up of a tree is not the tree i'm looking at it's not
1: mm-hmm.
0: I'm, the joke is, is that I'm looking at a fan palm that are quite rare.
2: Or imagine a tree that a chameleon sees with their independently moving eyes and their okay. total different perceptual right. system.
0: <laughs> exactly so. Or another way of doing it, in the sense with that, is, is that, yeah, the tree is all around us and we're in the tree. <laughs> but we don't, we get images of it uh, uh, from a distance of the tree. Um, And this is what I mean, is is that we live in a reality that's based upon perception that is based upon the past. And that it's quite a skill to develop, to be able to see when we're doing that and often put a stop to it and come back to reality as itself without conditioning it. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Okay, the conditioning is the perception. And we can dish. It's it's almost like being served dinner at a restaurant. And the first thing we do is pour salt on it. It's the the papancha, Pardon?
2: The Pali word papancha. Um, Bhikkhu Bodhi translates it as conceptual proliferation, but um, uh, Taniasara Bhikkhu translates it as objectification. And both make sense, but objectification is is more accurate in my opinion because it points to the fact that the mind is actually what constructs the objects in the world, you know, whether it be a physical object or a conceptual object, it's objectifying the raw data. Um okay. and it, you know, and the the most famous sutta where that word is explored is the honeyball sutta. I yeah. was
0: about to mention Sutra so number 18. <laughs> yes, this is exactly the Sutra that we're talking about.
1: <laughs>
0: the mental proliferations that besiege a man.
1: Mm-hmm. We
0: think and we think. That's that mental proliferation rather than just saying it the input. So you can say that the mental proliferations are the conditioning and what we're pouring on is a syrup that comes out of the sewer of the past. Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> to sweeten it and it don't taste all that good. We're trying to understand things. We don't like what we come up with.
2: I think we're trying to make metaphysical conclusions when that's not really what it's about. You know, it's about how do you feel about your
0: cotton picking? (laughs) Conclusions about metaphysics (laughs) metaphysics. In fact, that's the problem is metaphysics is irrelevant, just like Mm -hmm. the streetcars in San Francisco. Why? Because and <laughs> can ride on that streetcar happily and other people ride that streetcar miserably, and then they both get off and now there's no streetcar and the guy who was happily getting off the streetcar and is not on the streetcar is not there. The way that the guy who got off the streetcar miserably, he's still miserable. And he mm-hmm. thinks it's important. Okay, so here's the point that the, a lot of that metaphysical stuff is irrelevant until it becomes valuable now metaphysics can also be understood as magical thinking Mm because physics is physics and meta means way too much of it (laughs) rather than the reality of the situation all right so um or the supernatural it's not just natural enough it's the supernatural okay (laughs) and so Uh, Metaphysical, supernatural, another word would be magical. Magical thing. All right, Where we're more concerned about things that don't exist or are so far away that it doesn't matter whether they exist or not. Rather than uh, being interested in the things that are happening right here, right now. So that happens with people believing in rebirth. And they really, really want rebirth. The point is, is that rebirth, whatever it is, nobody knows it is too far away. It's beyond the, uh, the veil of death.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And even who people are dead, they don't know whether they're being reborn or not. It's all based in ignorance. We don't know. And instead of saying, we don't know, but what we do know is I can be happy when I don't know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's the issue. Now, that's not an easy place to come to. Because metaphysics, magic, supernatural, all of that stuff is so inviting that most of the people of the world are into it. Only in very recent times are people making the substitution for magic by going into media. So media is the new magic because most of it is not real. (laughs) Almost none of it is real, in fact. But that's where the kids are. Instead of reading an old newspaper with all the tragedy, now they're reading it on their iPhone. All the tragedy, all the problems of the world. Okay, and it's all, um, let us say, very dangerous to stay out of reality into all of that perceived stuff that people are making up. We don't have to perceive anything. This is back to the, the point about if we would stop conditioning ourselves with magical thoughts, metaphysics, super magic, uh, su- supernatural, um, it, all of that kind of input that comes from all of the perceptions of all of those people, and just sit here and look at nature, you're pretty well unconditioned.
2: Just stay with experience.
0: Just stay with this moment's experience. Not grabbing First. a hold of a great big one that we like had been hanging on to that, but that's what people normally do with experiences, not that this is it. They have the I had one (laughs) Mm -hmm. that or I want one. That's what experience is all about. And the real experience, the real way of looking at experience is that's what we're doing right now. We're experiencing the present moment. It's a verb, not a noun.
2: I think I just had like a like a mild realization because I was First, I was thinking like, because when I have these conversations with you, all of a sudden, boom, here we are in the present moment and all that stuff (laughs) that I've been obsessing over doesn't matter. And I'm like, okay, why did I forget this again? But when I, my insight, (laughs) my insight, hopefully I remember this is, um, I mean, I will, but hopefully it has the same impact is, okay, here's why People like me are obsessed with philosophy, metaphysics, whatever you want to call it. It is that it's looking
0: for a way out.
1: That's right. (laughs) It's a,
2: it's a, it's a, it's a samsara that isn't, doesn't smell or, you know, it's not like a physical samsara. It's a mental samsara. So it feels remote from you know, those, de- those heavenly messengers of aging, illness, and death, even though it does experience it, it feels like it's in some pure realm because it's all mental, but it's a, it's, a, it's a cycle of birth and death. Here's a concept that I'm obsessed over right now, then here's a new concept, then a new concept, then a new concept, and, and then every time you become bored with one, you make a new one, and then you make a new one, and then you make a new one, and you miss, okay. you miss the aging, illness, not. and death of
0: it. Right. That, and here's the point everyone is doing that even some people are 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 doing it with metaphysics some are doing it with rebirth some are doing it with um magic some are doing it with um uh uh super being supernatural and that kind of stuff some of them are doing it with politics some Mm -hmm. of them are doing it with sales Whatever it is that we get obsessed about, whatever concept that we get obsessed about, that's what we do. And in fact, that's how we make it a profession. A clear example is people who go to a psychologist, especially as children, wind up two things. Number one is they fail at getting cured in psychology but they get so into it that there is only one possible profession for them to ever go into and that is becoming a therapist a psychotherapist (laughs) and that happens over and over and over again they got really good statistics all over europe that the kids who go to psychotherapists in their childhood wind up becoming psychotherapists in Hmm. their adulthood yeah so this is this is that whole thing. We become obsessed over something or another. I was obsessed over computers at one time. But before that, I was obsessed with electronics. But before that, I was obsessed with music. I've been obsessed with a whole bunch of stuff in my life. I even got obsessed with uh, sex. And then I got obsessed with um, psychotherapy and that kind of stuff. So, man, I have really been obsessed with the Dhamma, except that the Dhamma has taught me, hey, man, if you're going to be so obsessed, at least enjoy doing it. <laughs> but most obsessed people are not having fun at it. Because they're not doing it in the here now, they're doing it in the sense of concepts.
2: Mm-hmm. So this is, this is what makes the Buddhist teaching so unique, is that there isn't a right view there's only a right viewing as you say mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. any view is just another mental construct
1: it's just that another mental construct is
2: born ages gets ill and dies and
0: was conditioned
2: by other concepts
0: mm-hmm. so you, mm-hmm. you can't so, come
2: you can't come to like an absolutely true concept because that's just a mental birth that's going to okay it's, mm-hmm, it's going to decay and die
1: mm-hmm.
2: can you enjoy
0: the process knowing that you're a mental baby grew up, matured into a, um, uh, an idea, or perhaps even into a product, only to have it die. A clear example of that is the automobile. The ICE, the, the, the Ford, the General Motors, kind of cars that they made in the 1930s, those great big companies are about to die right now. Why? Because they still want, they're obsessed with, that kind of engine they're obsessed with that motor they're obsessed with the way that they build the cars here's another example that. oh and by the way i need to finish the point is, is that the electric cars are now going to eat their lunch when people they're in <laughs> demand they're cheaper they're better they're better built they don't fall apart like gas cars that um that for every Gosh, in a, in a gas-powered car, the engine and the things uh, concerned with that engine, the number of parts is in the literally tens of thousands. With, mm. an, uh, with an electric motor, we're talking about under 100 parts. Mm. <laughs> under 100 parts. Now, uh, when we talk about that, we're talking about maybe 30 or 40 parts in the battery, but all of that stuff was put together so that we have a whole bunch of batteries, but they're all the same. And then we have, yeah, but the uh, electric motor's got a lot of windings in it. Yeah, but the winding is only one wire. (laughs) All you have to do is wind it on that contraption, and now you've got a motor out of it. And so that's the whole point. And yet the ICE industry is absolutely um, refusing to recognize that uh, the electric car systems like uh, um, outer China and uh, outer Tesla, you are going to put those big companies out of business. Why? Because they're obsessed with the way that they do things. Here's an exa- another example. James Watt uh, manufactured the, or, or, or designed and built the steam engine specifically to solve the problem of pumping water out of a coal mine. Because coal mines got flooded. But in that coal mine, they've got two things. They've got coal and they've got water, which is exactly the two things (laughs) that a steam engine needs. And so they started (laughs) pumping water with a steam engine out of the coal mines. And this was like 1620.
1: Mm.
0: By 1720, they had done not much of anything, basically. That was the generation that started the Industrial Revolution. It took them 100 years now to take that steam engine out of the coal mine and put it in the back door of the factory and bring the coal and the water to the factory. And then you could use that one steam engine with all these belts and pullers and all that kind of stuff, manufacture. And that was the birth of the Industrial Revolution was by putting the watch steam engine to work. Before that, all they got out of that steam engine was coals. Now they've got cotton shirts and pants, all kinds of stuff coming out of that that, uh, steam engine. But it took another 100 years until the 1820s for them to take that steam engine and put it on rails Mm -hmm. to have a locomotive. Now, why did it take Literally two hundred years from the time of that coal mine to get that that steam engine on rails to put it where it could go someplace. Why? Because the engineers and and the um, scientists and whatever were obsessed with improving what they had,
1: Ooh.
0: and they couldn't recognize. And so this is a very clear example of it. But I've got a lot of them because I've got an engineering background. of oh, did it really? take that long. There's a, there there was a guy who invented a computer in the 1820s. Babbage, we all know it when we study computer science. The one problem with it is they didn't have the technology of the day to actually manufacture the machine that he put on paper, but -hmm. it was broken down and everything. Well, in the last 100 years or so, they have actually been able to build Babbage computers and they're fantastic. They're much better than a calculator and do all kinds of things. But it it looks like 10,000 clocks have been glued together. That's what it looks like. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Because
0: everything is done on sprockets and wheels and whatnot like that. The, The wheels go around so that you can have the number 10, and then when it goes around to the next one, then it clicks the one beside it so that you can actually add numbers on this thing really fast. Really excellent, like that. Invented in 1820s, and nobody was able to use it at all. Okay, so this is the the point that I'm making: is is that concepts don't always work in our favor, and yet humans, we live in a conceptualized world. You cannot drive a car that was not conceived. And not only that, but a whole lot of people had to have a whole lot of concepts in order to actually produce. That car.
2: The car is a mental construct, not in terms just only of perception, but actually. <laughs> but in reality, it
0: was nothing that yeah. never was. I mean, it was the um, manifestation of concepts and people willing mm-hmm. to put in the effort to get it. The car wasn't yeah. free. Okay. And so let's go back now to the point about free will. Okay. This is that. <laughs> For most people, they have no actual will, they have Mm -hmm. habits and they instinctively respond to habits uh, like reactions. So they acted one time when they were a kid, the next time they acted the same way. And as they've grown into adult, they just keep doing the same thing over again, reacting What environment did they have, and they're reacting based upon a set of standards or concepts that they built as a child? It wasn't that they were ignorant, it's that they were partially ignorant. You see, no child it, um, has the ability to figure things out the way that a master uh, mathematician or engineer would be able to figure things out, that a child actually is ordered to take in and believe what he's told to believe. We're not supposed to think, figure things out for ourselves. When kids do, they get into a whole lot of trouble at school. You're supposed to do what you're told to do. And so we get into that mentality and that's what in fact develops into a destiny. We're told to do it. We do it ignorantly, we keep doing it over and over again, and we get into the habit of doing it that way.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That becomes our destiny. And if, you're just, if your uh, habits include a sword, then you'll probably die by that sword.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Because it's your destiny to die by it. Because the sword's in your habit system. So whatever is in your habit system is probably going to be what does you in eventually. Or maybe even right now, we keep getting dug in. That's why done in. That's why we feel bad. So the idea then that we don't really have any will at all. There is only destiny for most people. And that's what philosophy and religions and all that kind of stuff. We've got a huge number of words for it. Providence, mm-hmm. God's plan, the will of God, you know, destiny. OK, all of that kind of stuff is because m- over many, many, many centuries, the wise people could see that the fools are stuck. are mm-hmm. stuck in a rut. And that rut is easy to see. Your dad went down that rut and there you go and I see exactly where you're headed. that has been easy to see for those who would look. And there's been people who looked all along, but the mass number of people go by that habit. They have the destiny. So along now comes the teaching of the Buddha. And people are then beginning to uh, to learn that a lot of the effort that they were putting into following their destiny, they can start now putting some effort into changing that destiny. Now, we can't change the destiny, really. We can't even change the habits, really. We can't even change our actions yet. But what we can change is this thought, the one that we're having right now, not the way we think, just this thought. And that's the one that needs to be changed. And it's pretty easy to change if we recognize, hey, I can change my thought right now. And and so um, if I say something and you feel bad about it. There's a, a, a kind of an instant. Remember, we were talking about the snakes and that mm-hmm. instant reaction. Okay, so I can say something, or even have it in a tone of voice that may be familiar to you, and you'll have the same reaction instantly that you had before. This is what we call triggers. NLP mm-hmm. is really big on these kind of things, is to recognize that we get triggered really, really fast. Okay, and that often people are triggered really fast into arguing. And how that gets started is mom comes into the bedroom and says, Well, what about this? And the kid goes, Yeah, mom, but blah, 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 blah. And the kids start arguing with mom. And then every time we're confronted with our bad behavior, we immediately defend ourselves, start arguing, saying that we can't be heard, nobody's listening, no respect, can't get no respect. And this is how we feel. When in fact, the original guy who pushed your button didn't even know that he was pushing your button, or maybe he was arguing too, and was intending to push your button. And here you are going each other, pushing each other's buttons. And this is where full arguments come in. All right, because nobody's watching what's going on. But when we start to watch and start to see, we begin to have choices. We have no choices in ignorance. If we're ignorant of something, we've got no choice. But once we can see it, once we become wise to it, we've got huge choice. And in this regard, the Buddha recommends change unwholesome thoughts into wholesome thoughts. That's very easy to do. And then you'll have another unwholesome thought. Never mind, have a wholesome thought now. And recognizing that it's okay to have unwholesome thoughts because it's okay to see whatever thoughts there are. But a lot of people will say, oh, no, I don't have unwholesome thoughts. And they're having one right then, (laughs) they're being defensive right then. Okay. And so, uh, this is why it's kind of subtle. It's difficult. It's especially difficult to teach the Dhamma to people who want to argue with every point that you make, we get kind of nowhere until we address the argumentation and to have Mm -hmm. the student recognize that, look, you're arguing again. Look, you don't hear what I'm saying. And all I did was repeat what you said, and you still want to argue with me.
2: <laughs> that
0: also
1: goes
2: back to the honey ball suit. <laughs> exactly.
0: Is this mental proliferation of uh, these old feelings. So mm-hmm. as we begin to change from the unwholesome thought into the wholesome thought over and over again, we begin to pay the price of reality we actually have to pay the price of pleasure that we roll down the hill and it takes some effort to roll back up the hill so that we can enjoy the view again and over and over we put in the effort there is actually a price to pay to gain control of one's own mind so that you can have a will because Uh, we, when we use the word will, there's various different definitions, including what somebody signs before they die so that people won't fight. Okay, mm-hmm. that's that's one kind of will. Uh, and, and another kind of will is I think it's the kind that, that we have. Uh, like, uh, at least now I have the will to live or that I want mm-hmm. something. So a, a lot of will has to do with want.
2: Well, that's fake free will. That's not...
0: That's not free will, but people would see that all free will. So here's an example of that in the sense of freedom that the kid wants to go drive to the town. He wants to borrow the car. He's a teenager. He wants to borrow the car so he can have the, uh, the freedom to go around and to play with his friends. And dad says, no, you can't have the car keys. You don't have the freedom to go around
1: mm-hmm. now
0: if the kid is wise he would have then the point of having freedom
2: from wanting mm-hmm. to go around this is the american idea of freedom versus the buddhist idea of freedom exactly Americans right want the freedom to do but, but the um the the impetus is coming from craving. So there's no real freedom unless you get rid of craving. That's good choices. Our
1: choices (laughs) are rooted
2: in craving, but our craving is rooted in ignorance. That's what that's what dependent origination illustrates.
0: (laughs) Yes, Exactly, exactly. So in in that regard, then that real freedom comes in wisdom comes in knowledge Mm -hmm. comes in the freedom from the freedom from okay. You <laughs> mm-hmm. we, we, we don't
1: <laughs> freedom want freedom from anymore. craving, the freedom from ignorance. Uh-huh. Yeah.
0: Yes. And so in that regard, there lies the will, which then would be equated with the Buddha's word of Sama Sankhapa, which is part of the eightfold noble path. The result
1: mm-hmm.
0: of correct effort is an attitude. An attitude, mm-hmm. a can't-do attitude, an attitude of I know that I can practice. No matter how obstructed my mind gets, I can throw that stuff out. And Buddha says that one point, no matter how obstructed my mind gets, I can throw that out and see reality as it is. I can stop the conditioning. I can throw the junk out and I can see mm-hmm. reality as it is. The Buddha says that this state, this one point is the first step on the path. Mm-hmm. this is the beginning of the of the uh sotapan and the buddha further says that this point of the knowledge that i can clean out my mind is noble it is mm-hmm. uh uh Lokottara or super mundane it is in fact a factor of the path and it's not held by ordinary people ordinary people don't ever get to that I've got the will, they have, maybe have the will to live, but they don't have the will to control their own mind. I know that I can get my mind out of the filth. I can clean my mind. I know I can do that. Now that's real will.
2: So essentially, okay. and free free will sort of actually doesn't start until you gain stream entry. So it's like a sotapanna has a little bit of free will, Sakadagami has a little more, and Anagami has a little more, and then Arahat is completely free.
0: (laughs) Free enough. Yeah. This completely free is just a concept. Go for free
2: enough. Well, when there's no craving or delusion, That's free enough. (laughs) then consciousness is completely free. I mean, that's the whole point of the path. Well, and if consciousness has agency, it's
0: we're free enough to not have to use the word completely. Completely is an adjective or an adverb that tries to mm-hmm. describe how good it is, when in fact, really, the only point is it's good enough.
2: Well, completely, and at least in the suttas refers to the fact that craving is never going to arise again. Ignorance is never well, going to come back. It's been I know, and that upgraded. is so
0: idealistic. <laughs> well, I'm not saying everybody all... has it, <laughs> well, but that's <laughs> uh, that, that, it, it's kind of over the top. You could say that, in fact, that only someone who is in bed sick in old age would be the kind of person who didn't want anything. He doesn't even want to go to the bathroom, he just craps.
2: Yeah, I mean, I would I would make a distinction between. A between I would I make a distinction between like ignorant wanting and like you know wise wanting, or you can say. All um, right, now we're getting someplace. The inclination okay, of wisdom.
0: <laughs> suit to, suit to number one hundred and thirty-one is now making this point. I'm glad that you brought it up that way. One fortunate attachment is often how it's translated. All right, mm-hmm. but there's. A, Um, which was, which is basically, um, the point about being in the present moment, that being in the present moment is something that's worthy of attachment. There are a few things that are worthy of attachment. So not attachment, (laughs) but not the concept, (laughs) not the concept. But being yeah, man, hang on, I'll I'll be there in a minute. I'm having too much fun just chilling. <laughs> you know. That, <laughs> so, um, that that way we can we can see it. Yes, that the, the things that we want to attach uh-huh. to are the wholesome noble things, as opposed to attaching to the unwholesome, unsuppos- <laughs> ignoble things mm-hmm. that we attach ignorant, that if we attached wisely. Then we wouldn't have the greed and ill will attachment to it. We we would be in those places that were free from the uh, greed and and ill will. So. Let's finish up with the punchline to the joke that we've been telling for the past hour. And that and that (laughs) is that will is not divided between free will exist or not exist. Remember I talked about that there was a gray area between
1: mm-hmm.
0: Okay so here's the punchline to the joke and that is will is not free
1: mm-hmm.
0: You got to work at it it's expensive free will is not free it's expensive will but the pre- <laughs> the point is are you willing to pay the price
2: It's <laughs> very true
0: Yes, that's it that people misunderstand. They think that I'm either free to go sin and free to harm people. or I'm not free because of my destiny. Well, maybe your destiny mm-hmm. is for you to go harm people. That's the habit mm-hmm. you built up. Yeah, okay. That a pirate has a destiny just like a king. They're both stuck in a rut.
2: Can I can I share one last little yeah, text? No. Um, I've been wanting to share this with you um because I think one, it proves your point that you only need first jhana for the practice. The Buddha says it, you know. Um and two, I think all the
0: proof I need, but go ahead.
2: (laughs) And two, I think it also it also, if you look at it carefully in the context of this conversation, it's illustrating the that going from that realm of we'll say classical and operant conditioning, to use Piaget's language, to being unconditioned is the direct path to freedom that that you talk about. Um, it's, um, it's just one part of uh, Majima uh, Nikaya 64. Um, uh, it's, uh, so I'll just read it. I think it, it kind of proves those two points. But uh, the Buddha says, and what Ananda is the path? The way to the abandoning of the five lower fetters here with seclusion from acquisitions, with the abandoning of unwholesome states, with the complete tranquilization of bodily inertia, quite secluded from sensual pleasure, secluded from unwholesome states, a enters upon and abides in the first jhana, which is accompanied in, uh, by applied and sustained thought with rapture <laughs> and pleasure born of seclusion. <laughs> I know I've got the traditional the traditional illustration of the first jhana. But this is where this is this is the the main part here, he says, Whatever exists there, so you're in the first jhana, whatever exists therein of material form, feeling, perception, formations, and consciousness, he sees those states as impermanent, as suffering, as a disease, as a tumor, as a barb, as a calamity, as an affliction, as alien, as disintegrating, as void, as not self. He turns his mind away from those states and directs it towards the deathless element, thus. This is the peaceful, this is the sublime, that is the stilling of all formations, the relinquishing of all attachments, the destruction of craving, dispassion, cessation, nibbana. If he is steady in that, he attains the destruction of the taints. But if he does not attain the destruction of the taints because of that desire for the Dhamma, that delight in the Dhamma, then with the destruction of the five lower fetters, he becomes one due to he basically becomes the anagami um but yeah he's he's saying that in the first jhana if you if you attend to the deathless or the unconditioned then you could be liberated right there and then he goes through the all the rest of the jhanas but it's the same story for each jhana um uh-huh. okay
0: so, just, uh, so that's an important point that i think that in fact most of the westerners miss when we hear that word deathless
1: uh-huh.
0: because I use the word, that's a very interesting word, because, look at that word. (laughs) You use that word often in, let us say, honor of cause and effect because of that. So, um, (laughs) um, So getting into that state of unbecoming or deathless is only because whatever that it would have died like my mental argument with uh aunt susie didn't mm-hmm. have to die because it wasn't born and never thought about aunt mm-hmm. susie All right. birth is ah, the cause of death. <laughs> na- yeah the birth of that thought is the cause of its death and my and the actual uh event of its death was when it was killed off to become back unconditioned again mm-hmm Okay, so that means that we have to let a whole lot of stuff die.
2: The stilling of all formations. "Mm -hmm." The (laughs)
0: stilling of all formations means that those formations died.
2: And they're not reborn.
0: (laughs) Not reborn. We killed them all. (laughs) took it right down to the root. But you see, Western Buddhism doesn't quite understand it from the perspective of, but this is actually doable. The way that it's written and the language that's used in the sutras makes it sound ordinarily, uh, uh, extraordinarily over the moon, difficult and hard mm-hmm. to conceive. where in fact, the, the whole point about deathless is easy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If, 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 if you don't own a laptop, then your laptop's going to die. <laughs> 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 How easy is it for understanding that? So this is the... Uh, there you go. Oh, you're talking
2: about the battery life. Okay, I get it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, that too, but eventually Whoa. the whole laptop or something, the hard drive yeah. is going to go bad, you know, all that kind of stuff. Or, well, I,
2: I guess with the battery life, if you don't turn it on, it will never die. yeah you don't
0: turn (laughs) it on it's not going to die (laughs) it's not born it won't die
2: so um
0: what's the name it was were you actually reading out of the honey ball was that it or what no not that no
2: this one is um this is like the triplet to the two sutas that you always read um but you never but this one you never get to you you always read mn24 and mn48 this is MN64, which I would say is just like a relative of those other two um, that you usually talk about. Because um, you read, you talk about 24 with the seven knowledges mm-hmm. a lot, which um, I think now that we've talked about it today is all about free will. <laughs> anyway, but um, I mean, because mm-hmm. if you can if you can have ownership over your, your mental state, that's anyway. But yeah, this one this one is. Um, the MN24 is a lot about stream entry but this is this is about going to either anagami or arahat i guess you can say in traditional language but by attending to the to the unconditioned or to the deathless in jhana um and my understanding of jhana just my experience is my the best way that i describe jhana is like a sense of deep understanding it's almost like it's like a mental and a physical sense of like just understanding what you're the world at, and, and that, like all of the questions disappear like so i like to think of it more as understanding than than absorption or anything like that like um
0: mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know
2: how else to describe it um, let
0: me give you one then okay um this has to do with something just in Sutta number 39, where the Buddha talks about uh, the five stories in, in regard to the hindrances, like being sick and getting well, like being in prison and getting out, like um, uh, having a job and then getting fired, uh, like um, being in debt and becoming debt free. And the last one is like being on a journey and arriving at home.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So that's the one that I would use. If I could put the first jhana into just one word to describe it, I would use the word arrival. You have arrived.
1: Okay.
0: <laughs> that, that's the place like to rest. That, yeah. Stay, right? That you are now in a holy place. This is a holy site now hang around
2: that's probably why it feels like deep understanding to me because my main disease is constantly trying to figure things out mm-hmm. and so when i when i get to Jhana, i feel like i have no questions
0: do no question, so that's not that. right freedom, freedom from uh, that, uh, that the arrival exactly. of so I'm that using mental one. journey i've been on yeah <laughs> so so of those five the one that i was using was the sense of arrival that i've been mm-hmm. searching I've been traveling, I've been looking, I've been figuring it out, et cetera, like that. And so that arrival at Mm -hmm. home, that's what I felt like at Watch Sword Milk. I felt finally that I was at home.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Arrived. And you're saying it from the perspective of doubt that when you arrive, there's no more. more Best feeling in the world. (laughs) (laughs) It's the best feeling to know that you've got it figured out now.
2: Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, Trying not to be addicted to that is difficult, you know,
0: (laughs) so other people may, in fact, experience it in in other ways in in Mm -hmm. the sense of uh, what a relief it is. I don't have to go anywhere like the the job being free Mm -hmm. from having a job or uh, the feeling of the lack of restrictions like, oh, I'm not in jail. I don't have to stay on that road anymore, was the analogy that we had before. I'm not confined by my destiny or
2: my habits. I think we just we just like shared a breakthrough here because like (laughs) jhana is a different because because somebody's psychological disposition changes their experience of jhana. So like let's say somebody whose life pursuit like me, my my pursuit of knowledge, I feel understanding when I'm in jhana. But somebody who let's say that they're always pursuing romantic relationships when they arrive then they'll feel like the sense of like like deep love maybe like wow i've gotten all i i
0: I got i I got enough of it now yeah so whatever whatever the search is whatever the search ends ends, and it's just a different
2: character depending on what your particular search was yeah so that's kind of interesting you
0: could also say in the sense of the (laughs) um the ill will would be arguing so when we get into the first john that's the end of the arguing Mm -hmm. there's nothing to argue about and there's nothing to protect anymore Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and so those these (laughs) these five these five stories is a is a very good way of us understanding then uh that the first John's primary point is to be free from these hindrances Mm -hmm. to feel like that you have arrived instead of on your journey to feel like that you've got it all figured out and there's nothing more to question about there's no more doubts Mm -hmm. To be feeling like I don't have to argue, I don't have to get my way anymore, That I'm okay. Okay. And, and also, uh, that, that one about sloth and torpor or, uh, uh, Harry on Opata, that one is that I'm not lost anymore.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: That I have that I found it. So it's very much like, uh, the others, but that's the same thing as by being sick of being feeling bad? Oh, I just don't feel, you know. And then all mm. of a sudden, wait a minute. Okay, like uh, uh, an example would be that to, that you get up sick in the morning, and you feel sick and you don't want to do anything. And then then you recognize maybe an hour before you actually need to do something, that something like oh, my uncle Tom is arriving this morning. I've got to go pick him up at the train. And all of a sudden that. Uh, I feel bad, or mm-hmm. I don't have any energy, kind of not melts away. It's almost like having a blowtorch put on you and just jump. All right. Then, in fact, I've had that same experience. Um, for the Saturday morning, that is uh, that I'm all oh, I'm OK and I'm still a little bit tired and wait a minute, say, wait a minute, we've got a call coming in 10 minutes. Let me get up. I can do that. So is that changing in an attitude? Mm-hmm. That being tired. So, when we're in the first genre, we don't feel tired. We don't feel grumpy anymore. <laughs> that right now, this is good enough. Everything's good enough. And so, working yeah. with those hindrances and recognizing that we can be free from all of those hindrances, but the point we're kind of making is, is that for many people, they've got a favorite.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And yours is doubt. <laughs> and, mine, <laughs> and mine is being in a hurry. I've been, I've been on a journey, That uh, in fact, I knew about that hurry-up driver. And so that's uh-huh. been my show my whole life.
2: Got to hurry up and get it done. I'm in a hurry now. I think for me, it used to be both, but definitely now I've, I've conquered, well, mostly conquered the hurry, but the doubt is, I, I keep thinking it's gone, but it's just because I was, when I'm really in it, I always tell my wife, like, I feel like I'm spinning. Mm-hmm. And then when I when I when I ex- experience jhana, that's the other feeling. It feels like I've been spinning, like you know, when you spin and you stop, and the world keeps spinning, mm-hmm. and then eventually it stops. That's what it feels like. It stops spinning, mm-hmm. becomes crystal clear, and deeply like a sense of deep understanding and deep satisfaction. Like all of us, mm-hmm. just like poof, and like, and infinite that's all energy. we need. That's all we <laughs> yeah. need.
0: We don't need the other jhanas. The first jhana is good enough. Mm -hmm. But we have to stay in it. And in fact, part of what that sutra is talking about is how to maintain that first Mm -hmm. jhana as opposed to how to get higher and higher. Because there really is no higher. The first jhana, that's it. It's Mm -hmm. almost like you bought a house that's got a great, big, marvelous front room, but it (laughs) also has bedrooms. Uh Uh-huh okay and that first jhana is that magnificent front room yeah you've got bedrooms you've got bathrooms you've got kitchens that kind of stuff but you spend most of your time <laughs> in that living room where you live and so or you want a bigger house, house. yeah or, or you want a bigger house because this is because Jana, <laughs> not jhana at all right okay but that's they're all houses the i but the point that i'm making about the um the higher Johnas are only that way in the sense of once you gather the factors of the first jhana and order, the constituent factors that bring up the first jhana, the other jhanas are nothing but letting some of those factors go mm-hmm. correctly.
2: So it's like you have all the jhanas, you're just taking pieces off the first and then you're it taking, becomes the other right, jhanas. Just,
0: <laughs> Then it becomes right, you're peeling off the I Take off the so,
2: pt and the suka and. Uh, Well, we don't. No, no,
0: no. The the applied and sustained thought. I I forgot about those two. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's what it takes—one from the first to the second, jhana. And the way that I can describe that is that we feel so good, we don't have to talk about it anymore. We just experience feeling good. Which is the you don't pitty. have to
2: narrate the experience. <laughs> you don't
0: have to narrate the experience anymore. It's too good to have the the, uh,
2: the announcer,
0: shut up, I'm having too much fun, you know. <laughs>
2: that's, that's when you experience the noble silence, which is and really nice.
0: what, Yes, yes. And so then <laughs> that pity, though, that got us in there is overwhelming with how good we feel. And so going into the third John is when we let that relax.
1: Mm-hmm
0: into back to just sukha again but it's a really Mm -hmm. cool kind of sukha. and so this is stable yeah it's okay and that stability comes from the practice of the first jhana Mm -hmm. that people can do the first jhana and then they want the second the third and the fourth well that's just desire how can you want something and still be in first jhana you have to practice and practice that first jhana so that you get really good at the first jhana.
2: and the point you're yeah. making is is once you're in first jhana, if you just relax the other jhanas just unfold naturally because you're just relaxing away those yeah
1: but other not
0: factors. on schedule <laughs> but
2: not on a schedule yeah i feel like you have another student and i'm holding you up
0: no no,
2: no i heard your um your um your messenger going i was like uh that was no. that was like 20 minutes ago but
0: Never mind. <laughs> so, um, anyway, Michael, I think that this is a good time to stop. I think that we've gotten it going. At least I got my punchline out. And that's the important. Yes. Thing.
2: That, yeah. I'm, I'm impressed that you remembered great. it. Like after all that time, <laughs> it still came back. <laughs> I would have forgotten it at that point.
0: <laughs> uh, I, I am forgetful, but uh, I generally have a theme going through. Uh, people will will ask questions and stop along the way, and that slows things down. But normally there's <laughs> a sequence of events to go through, and mm-hmm. and, uh, and and that joke about expensive will that takes a long time to go through before anybody gets the point.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we we've, we've done a thorough discussion on that today. So thank you very much. I really enjoyed this talk. This has been All a treat. Right. <laughs>
2: All right, well, you uh, enjoy the rest of your day. All right. <laughs> <laughs> or, uh, as I've been telling myself, be joy the rest of your day. It's <sighs> just a little Good. mantra I've I,
0: made up. <laughs> I, I, I really think that your students are quite fortunate to have you around.
2: Yeah, I enjoy them. <laughs>
0: Uh, The last point that I'll have to say is about that is is that they probably wouldn't have been uh, voting Republican anyway, but for sure with you being their teacher, not a chance. Then in fact, before (laughs) they might have voted Democratic, now, after hearing you, they probably won't even bother to go vote. I mean, what a conditioning voting is.
2: (laughs) (laughs) They have, my students cannot figure out where I am on the political spectrum. They have no idea. They're always guessing. Well, that's because you're
0: not on the spectrum. That, that's, that's what I, what that's they, what I tell they,
2: them. They don't believe me.
1: oh, yeah, <laughs> so
0: you I got it. you know it. I don't have to take a position. I got off that, that wheel. Yeah, I used <laughs> to be good. on it. <laughs> oh, I know what it's like, so many people. I mean, that, but, well, the whole industry wants everybody involved. Everybody, Mm -hmm. the Democratic Party wants everybody to vote Democrat and everybody in the Republican Party wants everybody to vote Republican. And they'll do anything. They'll lie, cheat, steal, lie again, put up
2: a trump. It turns your neighbors (laughs) into enemies. You're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself, not turn everybody into enemies. You know, like um, it's not, this is not meant to be a sports arena. It's meant to be a country. And, you know, you say, see everybody as a friend and it's really hard to do that when you're like locked into a political spectrum or any kind of
0: fixed idea
2: spectrum, you know? Okay, Um, so
0: one thing that I could say in that regard is, is that the teaching of the Buddha is in two levels. There is the ordinary beginners level, there is the place where all Thai children and all Western adults start.
1: Mm-hmm. That's
0: where Ananda was when he came to the Buddha, <laughs> believing in all kinds of things. And the whole point of the precepts and the way they are is to at least get societies to the point that they're not going around killing each other. That we can mm-hmm. learn to at least get along in a civil kind of way. But the higher teachings of the Dhamma, the noble Dhamma is to teach us that we can be friends with everybody
1: mm-hmm.
0: now that's the higher noble the first one is just don't kill them refrain from hurting <laughs> them and killing them but you can hate them if you want to
2: <laughs> yeah just hate them inside don't kill them <laughs>
0: Yeah, right exactly <laughs> but the noble teachings of the dhamma is to make friends because you
2: don't want to mm-hmm. hurt your friends you know i used to get criticized um be, uh, by people, they'd be uh, they would tell me, "Guys, you're friends with everybody. You just like everyone." And I'd be like, "Okay, sure." <laughs> that was like a criticism that I was given. Uh, actually, when I was teaching in Thailand, one of my roommates um, was from Australia, and he was from like a far right conservative Australian political party that was really sort of nativistic. But he was he was also like a really great guy and had a great personality and like, I loved him and I got along with him really well. And everybody else in my group, like really judged me for, for getting along with him. But anyway, I don't want, we don't need to go down that road, but
0: I know that's point how it Christ is. Everybody, right. Everybody wants you to be on their side when they hate somebody. It's always you and me against that guy. Mm-hmm. If you, if you're going to make friends with him, that means that you can't be friends with me.
1: Yeah. So exactly. they don't.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've got a skill here, boys. I can be friends with you too. I don't care whether you hate
2: that dude or not. I don't hate you. <laughs> Seeing everybody as a friend, because um, I did become a little bit mis- misanthropic, like people hating, um, not people hating, but people averse. Um, but ever since I've been like um the two mantras I take from you is everything is OK and everybody is a friend. So that takes all the objects in the world and all the people in the world and makes it OK. And that 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 really just that that's helped me a lot, just like it, when I'm if I can't remember anything else, I remember those two things.
0: Remember that. That's the important. Yeah. thing. You've got to Keep remembering, <laughs>
2: yeah. remembering it, because
0: those things are really easy to forget for the beginner yeah. So it's important to remember that we're OK. And it everybody makes it fun
2: yeah when i'm when i'm in the sauna and somebody comes in like and they're in a bad mood and they're really rude and i get the opportunity to to be really friendly to them and then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden we're vibing with each other i'm like wow that's magic you know like you know like i've just done some chemistry there like within 10 seconds all of a sudden this person has become my friend they're not like the angry rude person anymore or whatever if you know Mm -hmm. um so i really enjoy that practice um yeah <sighs> okay. <laughs> well, we'll good conversation. conversation. Yes, it's been good. I've enjoyed. But, well, yeah, cop, 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 as usual. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. sweaty
0: cop. Have a good one. My expense just run out. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We'll see you.
1: I'll see you.